that is awesome. Wow, Hume, well done. If you have your Bibles, Luke is where we're going to start at, and then we're going to get to John, so turn to both if you would. John 8, but we're starting on Luke, Luke 15, where we ended last night. Didn't get a ton of sleep, just excited about today. As we left on a pretty hard, kind of just truth about what sin has done in our lives. And I've heard from counselors and youth pastors such great conversations that came in cabins and as we talk about the good news today and the hope that we have, I'm very excited and I'm just going to be praying here in a minute that God would soften our hearts. And again, as we go back to a couple days ago, just that the, the, the God's word would just fall on hearts that are ready to hear it. So Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. We saw, uh, uh, sorry, par- parable, parable of the prodigal son. We saw last night as we talked about the consequences of sin. And an interesting story here as we wrapped it all up of this son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Uh, if you don't die, that's fine. Just give me money. And, and, and this, the, the, the dad did. And the son goes and he spoils it all, wasting it on all the stuff that he thought was going to bring him joy, and it didn't. And it doesn't really shock us because sin always overpromises and underdelivers. It's the reality of it all. And he gets to this point where he's just broken and he's alone. And all the friends that were following him because he had a bunch of money are all gone and he's left alone. Just thinking, man, is this what life is all about? In fact, my dad's hired help. They eat better than I do. What would that look like if I go home? And if I go home, I have to let my dad know I am sorry. And he works up this plan that we see here in chapter chapter 15. Verse 18 says this, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I will confess that I have sinned. I am no longer worthy to be called a son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. So that sounded like a good plan to him. So he gets up and he walks toward home. He arose and he came to his father. This is what is awesome. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced his son and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found and he began to celebrate. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, thank you for the good news. And as I watch that video, and I just get so excited, as even just seeing my friend Kevin up on that, that screen and just knowing uh, his love for you, that he says, he says these words, not just to say them for a week of camp, he absolutely believes them to be true. And I'm so honored to be able to stand on the stage, especially tonight, to be able to just talk about who you are and what you've done in my life and all of our lives. And I just pray that your spirit softens hearts because we cannot do it. We need you. 
We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Dead and alive, lost and found, very important words, words that I think a lot of us in Christ, uh, Christians probably understand. Some that might not understand who Christ is in your life, you, you, you might still not understand. Why is that important? Lost, found, dead, alive. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. It's called the gospel, the good news. We, t- we, we, we talked about it. We started it last night. In the beginning, God. Life is all about God. That's what it is. We were made to glorify him. We're also made to enjoy him. That's what we were created to enjoy. And I know you can't quite see it over there. Just remind, remembering what happened on Monday morning of understanding a right view of who God is. This eternal, just creator who's faithful, who is life, who's holy, who's all hope and all goodness and satisfying in love and personal all together, all existing at the same time. That's who he is. And then some. He is our life. He is everything about what we want and we want to hold on to. He is hope and he is love. And in the beginning, God created everything and he created us to enjoy him and walk with him and enjoy and say, look, don't, you can enjoy me and this is what you're created to do. Whatever you do, just just enjoy me. You don't want anything else. And they said, I know we do want to enjoy you, but we do want something else. He's like, you don't want something else. We do want something else. And he's like, have it. And unfortunately, that one consequence brought sin into humanity, and we talked about that. What is sin going against God and our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our attitudes? And we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we've seen in, in, in the book of John, John, when we talked about that. They've all sinned. They dropped their rocks and they walked away. And the consequence of that is a physical separation from, we will die one day, but a spiritual cutting off from our life source that we were made to enjoy him. And that literally severed that life source that we can't connect it. No matter what we do, we can't fix it. And that's where we left it last night. Because sin always over, over promises and under delivers. And God hates it because it, te- it takes us away from him. Devastating consequences. And we needed to sit in that to really understand that you can't fix it, so you need somebody outside of you to do it. And you can't look to the person you left and your right. Why? Because they owe a debt, and the only debt is death. The only one that can forgive sin is the one that we've sinned against, and that's God. But how can that happen? Well, we see it in John 1, 1 that says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God who dwelt among us as he put on flesh. And we, we read about that throughout the gospel, that he was born fully God, fully human. And, and, and he, he walks and he talks. And we've been walking through his life all week as he is all about showing compassion, healing, seeing the sick, seeing the need. And in fact, he comes in order to heal the, the brokenhearted and calls him to himself He also makes some very big claims. I am who I am. I am the son of God. I am the one that you've been waiting for, this Messiah. He clearly states that. And the religious leaders hate it, and they start to plot to kill him. And in chapter 8, he, again, he he goes to his his disciples after everybody drops the rocks and walks away. Chapter 8, 21, he's talking to his disciples, and he's like, I'm about to go away. And where I'm going, you can't go. And they don't understand it. What do you mean you're going somewhere? You can't come. But I'm going, but I'll, I'll be back. 
He already knows what's coming his way. And here's what I love Hume's asked us to do. Cover 11 chapters in about 45 seconds. Are you ready? As we've looked at the beginning, as you know, Christ takes on flesh, we're going to cover 33 years of his life. And here in the last probably year and a half, two years of his ministry, what we've been seeing. And, and I, I rush through this, not because I want to, but because we've got to get kind of to, to the crux of, of this. But we can't miss the fact that he didn't just come to die. He came to show us how to live, how to love well, how to obey the Father. John 9, he heals, he makes statements, I am, I am before Abraham, I am the good shepherd. He weeps, showing his humanity. He raises his friend from the dead, Lazarus, and I think that that's interesting. Why? Because he knows as he's walking in to heal his friend, he knows what he's going to do, yet he engages into grief, and he weeps. And he shows us it's okay to grieve, even though resurrection will happen. And I know and I ha it's a side note, but I can't move from that because grief is a very important thing. We can't rush through that. And Jesus, again, having compassion on us to show us grief is real and you can't rush through it. If you find yourself going through a hard time, look at Jesus' example. He's full of compassion always, and he shows us it's okay to, to mourn. Even Jesus does it here. Chapter 12, he says, he goes out and you can read it. In fact, hopefully you've turned to John now or John chapter 12. Again, we're going to fly through this thing. And I'm just highlighting there's so many things. Each of these passages could be message after message. But there's some things I want to highlight. He has, his soul is troubled. But he says, this is why I came though. His soul is, 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 is troubled for what's about to come. What's about to come? The cross is about to come and he's, he's troubled. But he says, this is why I've come. Chapter 13, we're gonna get into this thing that he, he meets up with his disciples and he washes their feet and he has, a, he has a meal together with them and some amazing interaction is shared between him and his friends. And he says there, I want you to love people. Why? Because as you love people with my kind of love, they'll know that you're my disciples. Oh, by the way, one of you in this room, you're going to betray me, so go ahead and do it. And Judas gets up and walks out. The one that's been walking with Jesus and all their friends look at him and they're like, what does that mean? And I'm, I keep wondering, why didn't they just go out and one of them pull him aside? Hey, Jesus, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to go betray Jesus. All right, cool. See you later. They let him walk out, thinking maybe he's doing something with money. He was. He was betraying Jesus for a couple of coins. And as Judas walks out and all the disciples are sitting there, Jesus looks at them and says, by the way, you all are going to betray me as well. You're all going to roll and leave me. They're like, we won't. And he says, you will. But then 14 comes back with hope because God's a God of hope. And he says, but don't worry. I'll be back. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because they're asking him, we don't know where you're going. And he's like, you do know where I'm going. He's like, we don't know the way. And he's like, I am the way. You've been walking with me for so long. You still don't understand? I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way back to the Father is through me. And they still don't get it, just like some of us still don't finally or don't, don't really understand that. But we will. And in 14 is an amazing thing that he says, look, when I'm gone, that the Father's going to give a helper and you want the helper to come, trust me, and we're going to talk about the helper tomorrow. 
Jesus is going to say, look, it's better that I leave. You want a helper, so just understand we're not going to leave you here on your own. And in chapter 15, Jesus is going to continue to say, but listen, I am the vine and you are the branches. Stay connected to me and fruit will happen. Don't forget what I've taught you. But the Spirit's going to remind you. But stay connected to me, remain in me. And then chapter 16, 22 is so beautiful because he says, in light of all of this, you don't understand, but you are going to go through some really low times. In fact, in just a few hours, your world is going to be turned upside down. And then God gives us hope again, and he says, but soon your sorrow will turn into joy, a joy that is, uh, is you can't even explain it. And all of these things that he's saying so far over the last three years of understanding that he came, not just to go to the cross, but to live, but not only just to live, but also to go to the cross. And all these things that they don't fully understand. I have to believe that Jesus is like, you will, and it'll all make sense. But this once again shows God's power that Jesus says, I knew from the beginning what I came to do. I am more than just a prophet, a good teacher. I am God in the flesh. And in 17, Jesus stops and he prays for them. He says to his father, I hope that they don't, I pray that they don't get taken out of the world. I just pray for protection while they're here. And then we get to chapter 18 and I hope you're there. And we're going to slow down. And he looks at his disciples after he said all of this stuff. And I can only imagine as he's looking in the eyes, knowing what's about to come. One last look. And he says, all right, let's go. And the disciples have no idea what's about to come, but he does. And he still gets up on human legs. I'm sure they're a little shaky. And he walks out of the door, and it says in, in 18 that he walks down the Kitron Valley, which, again, as I talk about Israel, I love it because you can still go across that valley. He goes up to the Mount of Olives, which is staring up over Jerusalem. And he goes there, and he prays. And we read about it in different Gospels. And then it's time. In 18, chapter, or chapter 18, verse 4, it says this. Then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, you see what happens is they're over there in the Mount of Olives. A bunch of soldiers come in the night where there's no crowds. Judas had betrayed Jesus and brought the, the, the soldiers to Jesus. And Jesus seeing the army, the, the soldiers coming, Jesus steps forward and says, again, knowing this was going to happen, Jesus said, who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> Just three little words, I am he, once again is showing the power of who this God is is in reminding everybody around no one comes and takes my life no one takes me somewhere where i don't want to go at any moment i can get out of the situation i just want everyone to know i am the one you're looking for and i am and at any moment i can get out of the situation but i choose to walk forward and they get back up and then they grab him and they take him to the high priests 
and they have this conversation, uh, you know, behind closed doors where all these people are telling lies about him and they're smacking him and they're saying, you know, all these crazy things about Jesus and he's taking it, he's taking the hits, the slaps, the spits in the face. His disciples all take off. In fact, Peter, before he leaves, takes out a knife and is an awful, awful swordsman and goes for something and cuts an ear. Not sure how you do that. And Jesus says, no, puts the ear back on. He says, Peter, that's not what we're doing. Don't, this is what, this is what I'm here to do. If I say something wrong, I don't even know what I said. Jesus knows what he's here to do and, and nothing's stopping him. And he's walking towards the cross and in there, all his disciples, they take off and they run. And Peter's following him and he denies him. This one that Peter's, Peter's Jesus's guy. And he, he denies him three times. People are like, aren't you with Jesus? I'm not. Aren't you with Jesus? I'm not. Aren't you with Jesus? No. And he walks out and, and different gospels say, as he says that for the last time, Jesus is walking out of this place, of this meeting room with some of these religious leaders, right when Jesus was going probably through one of the loneliest times, all alone with a bunch of liars yelling and screaming and hitting and punching and humiliating him. And he walks out and he sees his friend and he connects eyes with him. Another gospel says they connect eyes and then in the rooster crows because Jesus already said to Peter, you will deny me three times. And Peter's like, no way. And as Jesus is getting pulled out of this just broken spot, he looks at Peter and Peter looks at him and Peter's broken and he takes off running because he did. He sold Jesus out and he takes off running. And Jesus is once again alone. And as he looks at Peter and Peter looks at him, I can only imagine Jesus thinking, Peter, it's okay. I'm going to the cross for you. And Peter's gone. Jesus is taken to the religious leaders and they make fun and then they decide he is guilty because he's saying that he is God. We need, need, we need no more excuse. Let's take him to Rome because we can't put him to death, but Rome can. What has Jesus done? In fact, in this high, uh, the, the, the high priest's chambers, Jesus asks the same question. What did I do? What are you asking me? They're like, who do you say that you are? He's like, I've been speaking outside and publicly to everyone. I haven't done anything in secret. What do you want to know? You claimed you were God. Blasphemy. And they take him to Pilate. Pilate's the Roman governor of the time, and nobody could do anything really without his permission. And he comes, they bring him in. Here's the man in charge. He's not a Jewish man, he's a Roman guard. He has really doesn't care about these petty little things. And so I can only imagine as they walk up with Jesus here in the middle of the night still. Is it's starting to daybreak is going to start to come soon, and then or it, it might even be day at this point. Is they're just early mornings, they're coming in. And he's like, what is happening here? And they're like, this is Jesus. What, what, what does this have to do with us? He's claiming some bold things. You need to kill him. And he's like, what? And, and, and Jesus and, and Pilate have this amazing interaction. In 1937, take a look here. It says this. Sarah read this on Sunday. 
Pilate said to Jesus, so you're a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? And I don't know if he's just over this conversation or if he's really honestly asking. And I don't know what Jesus' response is. It doesn't say. So it almost makes me think that Pilate asks and then he walks out the door. It says Pilate now walks outside. And I feel like that's such a moment for Pilate. In that moment, what if he honestly looks at Jesus and says, what is truth? And Jesus says, I'm truth. Okay. Pilate doesn't wait, he just walks on by as he's staring truth in the face. The question that he's asking is right in front of him and he walks right past him and Jesus lets him. He goes out and Jesus says, and we saw that in the video, he comes out, he's like, I don't find any guilt with him, but here's what I'll do. Once a year I let a prisoner go, so we'll let Bartimaeus go who kills people, you know that, or Jesus who hasn't done anything wrong. Who do you want to let go? And they're like, give us Barabbas. You want a guilty person to go free and an innocent man to die. Oh, that's interesting. You want a guilty man, somebody who's guilty, to go free and an innocent man to die. That's interesting. And they say, yes, give us Barabbas. Pilate still isn't quite ready to kill Jesus. So it says here, that he takes Jesus and he says, go out, tells, tells his people, go out and just uh, flog him. Basically, go take a big whip and just wreck his back to the point of death, but don't kill him. And they do, they beat him to a pulp and they put a big, they make this crown of thorns as we read about it here and they just shove the thorns on his head and they're whipping him and beating him and they put this little purple robe on him to make fun of him and these Roman guards could care less about anybody from in, in, that, in that area. And they walk him down and Pilate now brings this bloody mess before the people. And in 1914, he says this to the Jews, behold, your king. Take a look, John 19, 14. And they cried out, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered him, we have no king but Caesar. So Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. 19, 16 through 18. So they took Jesus and they went out bearing his own cross, Jesus picking up his own cross to be crucified. This is a way they would kill people in Rome. Excruciating way to go. A long death sometimes. Bring this cross out. They, and, and the Roman guards aren't bringing the, the cross out. This big old heavy wooden cross, no way. The prisoner, they'll do that. It's a long way of a walk going up a little hill to this place where they're going to literally watch where they're going to die. They got to get there. And if not, they're getting beaten down. It says Jesus is taking this cross. And what they'll do is they'll get up there. They'll dig a big hole and then they'll lay the person down. And Romans were really, really good at killing people. 
And we talk about archaeological finds. They found many, many stakes. They found many bones, and this is intense, and I know many bones with stakes still in their hands and feet and bone parts. They found those archaeological uh, discoveries. Rome was good at doing this. And they would lay him on the cross, not just Jesus, these awful people. They they would lay him on the cross. They'd stretch out their arms and they would take uh, nails and hammers and and jab them into their uh, their hands, their, their wrists maybe, this area, to make sure that they can't move and tie them to the cross and then put a stake through their feet to make sure, you know, they're just staying on the cross. And they bring this cross up and then drop it in a hole and their whole body would just convulse down, ripping at everything that would hurt, already beaten and bloody and broken, not broken, sorry. Because the Bible's clear, God's body wasn't broken, it was given. He's pierced for our transgressions. He's on the cross, and there they would wait. They took Jesus, and they went out bearing his own cross to the place, the, skull, uh, the place of the skulls, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And they crucified him with two others, one on each side, and Jesus between them. Guilty, guilty, innocent in the middle. And they would wait, and they would wait, and the time is ticking away. Hours are going by, and his body's starting to give out because he's so fatigued. And every time he takes a breath, he has to push up on that nail and pull up on his nails just to take a breath, (gasps) just to fall back down. The problem with crucifixion is you're suffocating to death. It's brutal, and they are good at it. And Jesus, knowing his hours are coming to an end, we pick up in 1928, says this after this, hanging on a cross pretty much all day. After him delivering some conversations with his mom and other people sitting around, and, the, and, the, and one of the guys on the cross that said, Would you remember me? And Jesus says, I will. You'll be with me in paradise. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there and they put it on a sponge full of sour wine and on a hyssop branch and held it to the mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John nineteen thirty eight says, Jesus' body was taken off of the cross and put in a tomb. And before it got taken off, in case you were thinking maybe he's not fully dead, the Romans thought that too. But again, they're really good at making sure people are dead. And they take a spear and they jab it into his ribs all the way in and pull it out. (sighs) Blood and water flowing. You're not surviving that thing. Just to make sure. Jesus was dead, dead. So as they take him off the cross and they put him in his tomb, 
and weeping and mourning is happening and people are broken and they can't believe what just happened because the one that they've been following for three years who said blatantly, I am who I am. I am the one you've been waiting for, the one that you've all been anticipating. I'm going to make all things new. And he's now laying in a tomb and they shut it with a big rock. And that's it. Friday night ends. Saturday goes by and nothing. And we saw that in the video. Jesus said something on the cross. He said, it is finished. And I can't imagine what people heard. I, I wonder what that would have been like to actually see that moment. It is finished. And as a Christ follower, man, that, those, are, those are words that just make me smile in such a big way. Why? What is finished? The consequences of death is finished. Someone had to pay the price, but I couldn't do it. The only one who could pay it, because you owe a debt and I owe a debt, the only one that could do it would be God. But how does he do that? Oh, he puts on flesh. Fully God, which means he's eternal. Fully man, which means he can pay that price for us. His humanity can pay the price. And in, in his eternity, he can actually pay it for all of us. And he says it is finished. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still broken, Christ died for us. Jesus said it was finished. The payment for sin was paid in full. An impossible, impossible price had to be paid. We could not do it. But he could and he did. Jesus, never sinning, perfect man, showed compassion and love, care. He pays the eternal price for all. Someone had to do it and he took the penalty. But friends, it gets better. John 20, 2019, on the evening of that day, on the third day, he already rose up and he talked to Mary, and on the evening he enters in here, the first day of the week, the doors are locked where the disciples were sitting with fear because of the Jews, and let that set in, because they're afraid of the Jews, why they just killed Jesus, and everyone's asking, are you his guy, are you his guy, and they're afraid, and they've now locked themselves in a door, and that's significant, because of what's about to happen, just a few days later, when these guys can't be controlled from talking about what they've seen, and why, because of what's about to happen here, don't miss that, these guys that were scattered, scared to death, are now locked up in a room, afraid. Why? Because their Messiah is gone. Until 2019. The doors being locked where the disciples were because of fear. And then Jesus came. He stood among them and said, 
peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad because they saw the Lord. That morning, Mary is, they're, they're, they're running because the tomb is unlocked and they're going and they're afraid somebody stole the body. And then all of a sudden she sees some angels and she's like, what happened? What'd you do with the body? Because she thought they were the gardener. And all of a sudden Jesus says, I am him. And she's freaking out. Because Jesus actually is who he says he is and he can do what he said he can do. You might miss it, so I'll let you in on one of my favorite Bible verses, Ephesians chapter two, it says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, you were once dead. Following the course of this world, because of sin, you were once dead. Would you do me a favor and read the rest with me? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us. Keep going. By grace, you have been saved. Christ died for our sin and paid the payment, and then he rose again, conquering sin and death, showing that he has the power to make dead things live. Why is that important? Because we are dead things. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin, and we can't do anything about it. But God made us alive. What does that mean, he made us alive? He's the one, and yes, I know it's cheesy, I get it, but it's one of my favorite kind of illustrations for me to understand that apart from Christ, I am broken. And then Jesus says this phrase, right? We saw it a few chapters ago, he says, I am the only way, I am the only truth, I am the only way, the only life, the only way back to your life source is what? Through me. You can't earn it, you can't go to church enough, you can't read your Bible, that doesn't pay for the sin. Death has to, you can't, so he did. And he says, I'm it, I'm the only way back. You need me, the only way back to the Father, to the life source, to everything that is holy and hope and satisfaction. You can have that, but it's only through me. All roads don't lead to heaven. Why? Because there's only one road. Otherwise, why did he go to die? If there's other ways to connect you to it, why would he do this? Why would they kill him if he wasn't claiming that he was God? And by rising again, he's showing, I am who I said I am and I can do what I said I would do, it is finished, price paid in full, relationship is restored, I'm the only way, truth, and the life, and that, my friends, is the good news. Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. What's that saying? Belief that he is who he says he is. You confess, Jesus, you are Lord. You believe it. See, it's not knowing things. I think that there might even be people in this room, you might think that you're Christians because you know things about God. It doesn't mean you believe in him. 
trusting him, trusting that this is true, that there is a God who says, I've created you on purpose for a purpose. I want you to enjoy me. But your sin has separated you from me, and you can't earn it, and I've given you a way back. But it's only through Christ, my son. That's it. And if you believe that he died for you and he rose again, you will be saved. That's what it's saying. But it's more than just knowing it. It's belief on it. You're showing that you can't do it. And you give him the glory that he deserves. 2 Corinthians 5 is a, one that I think in light of this is one that we think through. For the love of Christ controls us because of what Christ did for us. We conclude this, that one died for all. Christ died for all. Therefore, we have all died. He died for all that those who live now might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. What's that saying? He fixed it, so quit living as if it's broken. If you believe this to be true, then enjoy him. Because life is no longer about you. Because if life is about you and you want it to be about you, then do you really want him to even be the one that fixes it? Because he's saying, no, my life is all about me. It's his desires, his ways, his kingdom, and not yours. And that, my friends, is the good news. In the beginning, God created us to enjoy. Sin got in the way, and it separated us from him. So he made a way for us. He came to us, paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. He went to the cross for us to take on the just wrath of the holy God. The price had to be paid, so he paid it. He didn't just forgive. He paid it. So that what's amazing is he looks down. He doesn't see us anymore. He sees the cross, and we're shaded in the cross. It's an amazing thing. He takes what he doesn't have, sin, and he gives us his righteousness, what we don't deserve. We take his righteousness and he gets our sin. That seems like a crazy deal. But he says, it's yours. All you have to do is just believe that you need it and believe that I did it. He would think that that's not too hard, but it's hard. Because there's all these other lies out there saying, no, this is truth. This is truth. This is truth. You can earn salvation. You could do this. There isn't a God. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to the Father is through me. And that's the good news, and I think I would ask you here, the question would be this. For those who have not put your hope and faith in Christ for salvation, what would be stopping you from doing that tonight? If he is who he says he is, and the Bible is what it says he is, and Christ did what he said he would do and is who he says he is, and he is the only way, why wouldn't we put our hope and faith in Christ? Why wouldn't you? And so, friends, tonight you have the opportunity to do that. Right here in this room. In a moment, I'm going to invite you if you've never put your hope and faith in Christ and tonight, maybe for the first time you, you want to. I'm going to invite you to do something hard. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Not yet. And I know there's times where we bow our heads and we close our eyes and we look up and we want to give our lives to the Lord and we can do that and that 
It's fine. We're just not going to do that tonight. Because I don't want emotion. I don't want you to try Jesus. I'm here with all my friends. Hey, you guys, maybe we try this Jesus out. We don't try Jesus. We either believe this to be true or we don't. Jesus isn't begging you. He, he wants you to understand truth. But he's not like a soccer team where he's like, pick me, pick me, pick me. Yes, pick me. He says, I am who I am and I won't be anything else. And, I, and in a room like this where I think there's a lot of Christians in the room, we want to celebrate with you. And I know it's scary, but you're about to go down the hill in two days and it's going to be hard to live for Christ. And I want you to understand you've got a body of believers of people here that would love to come alongside you and they have already been praying for you. And I don't want a, you to stand up because your friend next to you is. I want you to stand up because you believe this to be true and you know you're in desperate need of a savior. So here we go. I'll count to three. And if you've never put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus, but tonight you say, I don't care who knows and I know it's uncomfortable and I know it's scary and hard, but Jesus went to the cross. We can stand up for him. You've never put your hope and faith in Jesus but you know tonight you want to, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet on the count of three. One, two, three. Stand up right where you're at. Those that stood by standing, it's not the thing that saves you. And those that are seated that maybe you didn't yet make a decision by standing, you know, you're thinking, oh, I should have stood. It doesn't, it doesn't save you. It's confessing that he is Lord. Believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. That's what saves you. And so here, here's what's going to happen. Those that are standing, if you could do me a favor and kind of make some eye contact with your youth pastors or counselors. Can you do that for me real quick? Can you just make sure you see your counselor or youth pastor get a little... I see you, right? All right, good, you got that. And in, in, in a minute, we're gonna uh, get into some worship through music, but not quite yet. Um, we're gonna do something else here in just a quick second. But um, when we do, we'll have you guys sit down in a second, not yet. Um, and, then, and then we're gonna stay back, we'll, we'll dismiss. And those that are standing, stay, stay, stay back. Talk with your counselors, um, because there's some questions that you might have. Uh, and we want you to talk those things out, okay? Um, now listen, there's people in this room that have been praying for you, not just in this room, down the hill, and it's crazy as you understand who the family of God is. It's nuts because there's people praying for us that we don't even know, may not ever know the side of heaven. It's nuts. But there are people in this room that I know have been praying for you. So crowd sitting down. I've heard you scream at wreck, and it's awesome. I know you can get loud, but here's what I want to do in a moment. I want to just cover the people standing here and maybe even sitting down that didn't want to stand and that's okay, but say, I need Jesus. We know Christians in the room, we know how hard it is when we get down the hill. So I'd like to scream in a moment. And when we do, it's that scream of excitement and anticipation of encouraging them of saying, good job, keep it up. It's going to get hard, but we're all in this thing with you. 
Yeah, would you do that with me on the count of three? So those that are standing, just get ready to receive this kind of excitement and encouragement because these people have been waiting for you. And if you're around them and you want to tackle them and, you know, you feel free to do that, just not on other people because that's weird, right? Um, let's make some noise on the count of three. You guys ready? One, two, three. Make some noise. Okay, I've had, I've had you standing too long. I apologize. Uh, go ahead and have a seat. Make sure you guys are talking to your counselors afterwards. Um, if you didn't make a decision, or if you, you, know, you, you wanted to make a decision but you didn't stand up, uh, again, stay back afterwards. Talk to a counselor. If you, uh, if you weren't quite ready to make a decision, you're like, you know what, I, should, I, I, I wanted to stand up. I just, I'm not quite sure if I, 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 want, I want this thing. Um, it's, it's too late for you. You have no more opportunities. Um, I'm just kidding, right? Uh, listen, um, you don't have to do it in chapel. You can do it as you're walking to your cabin on the way out, on the bus ride home. I have to say this with as much love and care is we just aren't promised tomorrow, I'm telling you. If we die apart from him spiritually or physically apart from him spiritually, we'll stay that way from eternity. Why? Because he says, if you wanted none of me or my son in life, I will grant that for all of eternity. But if you want me and my son in this life, you can not only have, you, you have it in eternity, but you get to enjoy me today. So don't wait because we're not promised tomorrow. And Christians in the room, Ephesians 4 says, live life according to the gospel. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received your relationship has been restored. You say, I want you, Jesus. I want you, God. I want to enjoy life to the fullest, what you have for me. If that's the case, quit straining this relationship. It's not broken anymore, so quit trying to break it. You can't break it. You think you could break the cross. You can't. How much does he have to show you anymore that he loves you by what he already did? So quit straining this thing. You find yourself pulling down or trying to break it to get back to this brokenness, even though you really don't want that. You come to camp and you might think, oh man, I can't wait for repentance night. What's repentance? Where's that in the, or, or you, you think about rededication night. I want to rededicate my life. What is that in the Bible? It's called repentance. And repentance is just simply stopping and turning around and going the other way. So do that with your life. And if you find yourself tonight saying, man, my life, there's some junk in my life. I just got to get rid of, search me, got to know me, see if there's any way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Maybe you also need to stay back for a little bit and just do some business with God. We got lots to celebrate tonight because God is a God who does what he says he can do. And we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive by grace, we've been saved through faith. I'm gonna invite the band out here. We're gonna sing a little song as we worship him. And then Sarah's gonna come up here and close us out. Let me pray for us. And Lord, we thank you for life. And we thank you for your truth and what the cross has brought to us. And we cannot get away from the impact and how hard that was. 
You paid the price that I couldn't. You died in my place. A guilty man is able to walk free because I'm covered by your righteousness. You forgave me and I didn't deserve it. And Lord, as we celebrate that life, I pray, Lord, that those in the room that have yet to put their hope and faith in you, I pray that they just continue to wrestle with what truths are they truly listening to. And if they have questions, may they ask those questions tonight. May we celebrate you, God. May you get the glory and honor in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.